Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. How was I supposed to get divorced when I couldn't even afford to pay for it? I couldn't. You can end up quite easily spending around twenty-five to £30,000 per person if they've got solicitors, if you really get into it and you want to go all the way through a court process. And that, to my my view, I, I couldn't fathom that. Anyone who's getting divorced should consider the question of pensions. Don't forget it. Forget it at your peril. Today I'm going to hand over to witch journalist Charlotte Gifford for her investigation into divorce and the devastating financial impact it can have on women. About 100,000 divorcees are granted in England and Wales every year and in the majority of cases when splitting up the matrimonial assets, couples don't include pensions. As a result, women can enter retirement at serious risk of poverty. Here's Charlotte with the story. It was the early 1990s when Samantha met William, who was based in the US, on an online dating website. They had an instant connection. We got to talk on the phone and he rang up and we really hit it off. It was going really well, so he bought her a plane ticket to come and see him in California. So it was a bit of a whirlwind romance, you could say. You know, it was fully on. Flowers, chocolates, conversations... All of that stuff that you do. In 1994, they got married and Samantha moved to California to live with him. But sadly, after five years, she decided the marriage just wasn't working for her anymore. And she told him she wanted a divorce. It was like a sad acceptance that it was over, but a knowing acceptance. Despite how amicable their breakup was, to say they had a clean break wouldn't be quite true. That's because Samantha got virtually nothing financially from the marriage. Her ex-partner paid for her belongings to be sent back to the UK, and that was it. Nothing else. It was horrible. Such a shock um, that some marriage that lasted for that amount of time. And we really didn't argue, but yeah, I got thrown under the bus. When you get divorced, you and your ex-partner will need to reach an agreement on how to split your money and assets. It's left up to your discretion as to how you divide up things like property and savings. But this means that people can end up reaching very unfair settlements. Okay, so my my name's Jim Richards. I'm a senior associate at Winkworth Sherwood Solicitors. I deal with family law, which means divorce, financial settlements, children, um, and so forth. Over the course of his career, Jim's developed an interest in one particular asset, and that's pensions. 
Since the law changed in 2000, it's been possible for couples to get a pension sharing order from the court. That means that if one spouse's pension is bigger than the other, they can distribute it fairly amongst themselves once they split up. But very few couples actually take advantage of this. In fact, when we surveyed 948 people who divorced after the law changed, 71% said they hadn't shared pensions. Whereas people will focus very clearly on money in a bank account or a house or you know whatever it may be, something which is more immediate and tangible, uh, the pensions get overlooked. It's something which I think if you don't tackle these things head on, then you, you, you will pay the price when um, it, it comes to retirement and you find out that your state pension is low because you didn't work or if you did work, you, you weren't very little um, and you don't have any pension sharing order. And the house that you thought you were going to be able to keep for the rest of your life, you suddenly have to sell. This can be a big issue, especially for women. According to recent research by Now Pensions, women spend an average of 10 years away from the workplace to raise children and look after relatives. This, plus other factors like the gender pay gap, mean that they end up with significantly less saved for retirement than men. The same report found that by the time women reach retirement age, they will have 136 grand less saved than a man. I I don't think it's a coincidence, put it that way, that on the one hand, you have the majority of pension funds vesting um, with married men and uh, the majority of divorce settlements not containing pension sharing orders. So for many women, a divorce can be financially catastrophic. I want to introduce you to another woman that we spoke to called Joan. She still remembers the gut-wrenching moment her husband said he wanted a divorce. But it wasn't just emotionally devastating. Her own financial situation meant she was now in big trouble. So all them years I worked, you know, still doing my same job in childcare. Um, but there was no pension. And it was really basic, it was really, you got paid, and you still got paid in your hand, in a, in a bank envelope. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? <laughs> and that was it. You just, you know, the right kind of didn't think we had payslip. I think it was just the money. And it was just, you know. So that, that was, that's why I suppose I didn't have anything for me to share in our divorce, did I? While Joan had a very small income, her husband worked in the armed forces and therefore had a really generous pension. Karen Doverston is a family lawyer who owns her own practice in Essex. She's taken part in the focus group for the Pensions Advisory Group, aimed at improving the way pensions are dealt with in family law. As Karen explains, some pensions, like the one Joan's husband had, are especially valuable and therefore a divorcing couple might be more likely to decide to share it. The the really valuable pensions are for the age group where they started putting into their pensions in the 80s Um, and this is what I'm finding is that they've started putting into their pensions in the 80s and obviously if they're linked to guilt or if they're linked to the share market those have gone up and sometimes you, you find that the pensions can be worth double or triple the value of the equity in the house, particularly if you've got some really valuable defined benefit pensions like civil service pensions, NHS pensions, army, fire service, uh, local government pensions, teachers' pensions, those sorts of pensions and some of the banking pensions as well, um, they're really quite valuable. But Joan's husband wasn't willing to share his pension. 
but Joan decided it was worth fighting for, so she hired a solicitor and began an eight-year-long legal battle. This included mediation sessions. Do you you not think um, that there is a a disparity? You spoke for a minute and uh, it is And I think they didn't even know how to answer that. They didn't really know. Because he he was telling the truth. He He didn't think that there was this disparity between what, you know, we each have. You might find that you can sympathise with her husband's perspective. He worked hard for that pension. So isn't it rightly his? But he was only able to have that career because of the free labour that his wife put into the marriage. That's also true of Samantha's story. My financial input to the um, family structure was, um, you know, housework, cleaning, cooking, organising all of the paperwork. So I did all the financial stuff as well. You know, I did the banking, I did the insurances, I did the pensions. So it wasn't just, um, you know, doing a spot of tea and then cleaning out the dog bowl. When getting divorced, people are sometimes worried that a pension sharing order might mean they're financially tied to their ex-spouse. But with a pension sharing order, that's not actually the case you get a percentage of the pension transferred to you at the point of divorce, so the pots aren't linked. There's another option called an attachment order or earmarking, where you are in a sense tied to your spouse because the share is paid to you as a kind of maintenance payment. However, these aren't very common anymore. Let's just walk through what a solicitor would advise if you're trying to reach a financial settlement and you wanted to include pensions. We write what we would call a joint letter of instruction, which is that um, both the parties' lawyers contribute and agree a letter of instruction, which then requests that the um, pension sharing expert does uh, a report within the particular terms of reference that we've asked them to um, to, to to do. And they then um, produce a report summarising how um, the... The, the pension should be carved up, so to speak, in order to produce that fair settlement. So they're the kind of, they're the people who tell us what can happen. And we then use that in, as part of the negotiation process. The reason you need to get a pension sharing expert in is because working out the actual value of a pension can be really complicated. When you get divorced, you have to tell the court the value of the pension, which is called the CETV, or Cash Equivalent Transfer Value. But the CETV doesn't tell you the projected future value of the pension or other benefits such as death benefits and discretionary benefits. Most defined benefit pensions, like the one Joan's husband had, will have benefits like this included. So that means the actual value of the pension could be worth a lot more than the CETV says it is. That's why it's generally a bad idea to let the other person keep their pension while you get another asset in exchange, such as the property. This approach is called offsetting, and until you know exactly what the pension is worth and what's at stake, it's not very wise. Joan eventually did manage to get a pension sharing order, but it took her eight years. People can be extremely reluctant to share their pensions with their ex-spouses, but our research shows this isn't the only reason why they aren't split more when people get divorced. In our survey, almost one in five divorcees didn't even realise that pension sharing was an option when they got divorced. 
For example, Joan said she had no idea about pension rights until she got legal advice. Pensions weren't even talked about. It wasn't. You just went and got another job. So that legal advice was so important to Joan, but she very nearly didn't take it. The only reason she got any advice was because her ex-boss suggested that she speak to a solicitor. She was protecting me, and I just thought to myself, well, what's going on here? Why is she saying go to solicitors? And I did say that to her. I haven't got solicitor money. I get you have, because you have to, because you own business. She said, but you don't. I said, you can get, I'm sure she said it's an hour, and it won't cost you anything. <laughs> I just say to her, because I'm so sceptical about things, I went, oh, well... If he goes to charge me, I said, you're getting the bill. <laughs> In our survey, 34% of people said they didn't seek professional advice about sorting out the finances. And with the introduction of the new no-fault divorce law in April of this year, there are concerns that even less people might take legal advice going forwards. Karen explains why the new law is one of the biggest legal shake-ups that divorce has seen in generations. When you want to apply for a divorce, you still have to make the application to the court. But instead of having to give a reason why your marriage has broken down and for it to be shoehorned into five particular reasons and then for a judge to have a think about whether you've said enough about those particular reasons, all that's required now is for the adult, because let's face it, it's adults that are marrying and divorcing, the adult to say, uh, I'm, I no longer wish to be divorced, the marriage has broken down irretrievably. And that is the end of that. There'll be no further inquiry beyond that simple statement. If an adult is saying that their marriage is irretrievably broken down and they want to be divorced, then OK, that's how it will proceed. The previous system created a lot of problems for divorcing couples. It used to come as a bit of a shock when you'd have to say to a client, look, if you want to start divorce proceedings now, then you're going to have to point the finger. You're going to have to say the other person has either committed adultery or the other person has behaved in this way. And with the behaviour, set out examples of the behaviour. Or you can wait for two years if they'll agree, or five years if they won't. And it didn't really suit the, the modern way of, of, of most couples going through a separation. The other thing that it did was mean a, a person wanting to be divorced had to rake back again over all of what had happened, sometimes a couple of years previously or a year previously, um, they had to go over it all over again, rehash it again, refeel all of that anxiety and the emotion. And I just think that's really inhumane making people do that once they've gone through that journey and doing it again. So this, I think, is a much better way. It sets a different tone for a start of the conversation about getting divorced and sorting out finances and children. Recently, Steve Webb, former pensions minister, and barrister Rhys Taylor wrote a paper in which they argued that the no-fault divorce law could lead to even fewer couples sharing pensions. Karen explains why this is. If one person starts the divorce application, they are supposed to serve it or send it to the other person within 28 days. Now, usually a court would, the court would be sending the papers, but let's say you've got one party who wants to be a bit difficult. 
um, and they issue a divorce application, they should send it to the other party within 28 days. But let's say that they don't. Let's say that they hold on to it until around about week 18 after the divorce application has been made. Well, they can, if they then sent it to the other party at week 18, there's two, only two weeks to wait before the, the, the first person can then apply for the conditional order. And then another six weeks after that, where they could apply for the final divorce order. So in the example I've just given you, let's say you've got um, one party does do that, holds on to the papers until week 18. The other party then really has only got about eight weeks or so to get themselves in order, get legal advice, get financial advice before it could be too late and it can really severely impact on finances. Of course, there's another reason why divorcing couples might not necessarily get legal advice, and that's that it's very expensive. In the end, Joan thinks it was really worth it for her because she managed to get a share of her husband's pension, but she still winces thinking about how much it cost her. From February to June, £3,243.90. Shocking, isn't it? If you really can't reach an agreement with your ex-spouse, the court will decide for you, and this is where costs can go stratospheric. You can end up quite easily spending around twenty-five to £30,000 per person if they've got solicitors, if you really get into it and you want to go all the way through a court process. And that, to my, mind, to my, my view, I, I couldn't fathom that. I've always thought that it's better if couples can reach an agreement, a sensible agreement, and keep money within their family rather than spending on lawyers and court fees. For Samantha, legal costs were precisely the reason that she didn't seek the help of a solicitor, which left her on the back foot. How was I supposed to get divorced when I couldn't even afford to pay for it? I couldn't. I, I really, really understand people who want to get divorced, who can't even afford to pay for the, le- the legal, you know, fees that are, are dealt here. It's a, you know, I've heard of some people that are still married because they couldn't afford it at the time. It's a real struggle. If you can, you should really try and reach an agreement among yourselves. But there are a few other things you can do to keep legal fees down. If you want to save money on a case, the place to save money is on the divorce proceedings itself. Most solicitors will charge a fixed fee for doing divorce work for the divorce proceedings themselves. Remember, that's not the finances, it's the divorce. Now, the court fee is £593, but there is an option for you to apply for an exemption if you are of low income. The limits really are very low though, and the allowances are very limited. So the majority of people have to at least pay the court fee of £593. You can choose though whether you want to use a solicitor or not. Um, and the they call it the citizen portal, the litigant in person portal for um, getting divorced. It's set up in such a way as it's meant to be navigated by people without solicitors. So that's the way for you to save a bit of money. However, I would always say get some legal advice at the outset. Even if you have an initial advice session, 
I offer them, for example, for, for a modest fixed fee, uh, um, and many solicitors will do it. I don't think a half hour free, quarter of an hour free here and there is worth your while. I think you'll come out more confused than you went in. But I do think that having an hour's worth of time with a solicitor where you're able to ask all your questions and discuss matters, I think that that can be really valuable. Legal fees can be eye-watering, but in some cases the cost might be worth it in the long run. Can you imagine? You've got a pension that may be worth, let's think, five, six, seven hundred thousand pounds, and a report will cost perhaps three thousand. Anyone who's getting divorced should consider the question of pensions. Don't forget it. Forget it at your peril. Divorce isn't an easy thing to talk about, and neither is money. So I want to say thank you to the women who spoke about the financial impact that the breakup had on them. One thing that struck me when speaking to these women was how often they blamed themselves and said they didn't feel they had a right to fight their own corner. But at the time, I was just guilt-ridden. I felt bad. I was leaving my husband, thinking, you know, that this was the way it was and I, I shouldn't expect anything more. It took me a long time to get through my journey and become more aware of myself and go through and work through all of the triggers and all of my historical nuances as a very, very patterned human being, just like the rest of us, you know, and get past feeling like a failure. I'm not a failure now. I never was. And at the time I felt I was, and I felt I deserved the whole lot that I got. But yeah, nowadays, I'd definitely say something because it's not fair for both people to end up with such a lopsided situation. Thank you so much to Charlotte for today's investigation and thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. If you have any questions on anything we've covered in the podcast or another personal finance or money related topic, please let us know in the comments wherever you're listening to the podcast or drop us an email at podcast at witch.co.uk. Please do also subscribe to the show to make sure you catch us again next week. And for more money news and advice, find us on social media at Witch Money and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was produced by Charlotte Gifford, edited by Rob Lilly, with additional support from Ian Aikman. <laughs>